The following program was paid for by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. The views and opinions expressed on Answers Live are not necessarily those of the staff and management of the station. Management has not investigated the claims made during this program. The views and medical recommendations of guests on Answers Live are not necessarily those of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. As always, consult your health professional regarding any medical decisions. Welcome to Answers Live, your community medical connection, making a partnership of good health. The studio lines are open for your calls and questions. Call 973-267-9687. Now, here's your host, Tom Wood. Good morning and welcome to Answers Live, your community medical connection, creating a partnership of good health. I'm your host, Tom Wood from Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists, ANS. We are located at 310 Madison Avenue in Morristown, New Jersey. With five other offices throughout the state, our newest offices are still located in Jefferson, New Jersey, and in Teaneck, New Jersey. So be sure to visit our website at ansdocs.com. Again, that's ansdocs.com to look where those offices are located. Also, on our website, we do have a patient portal where you can make scheduling requests and also find out about our new programs that we have. We are now starting a brain tumor um, trial um, and study, so visit our website to find out more about that and also the new techniques and procedures that ANS is providing our patients here in New Jersey. Um, the Apollo system is exclusive to us, so go on the website and learn about that, and that is for intracranial hemorrhage treatment. Um, good morning to everyone again, and thanks for joining me. Uh, my guest this morning is really one of my guests that I have on the show probably the most, Dr. Liz Mathias. Um, her website, I'll give you to get in touch with her, is www.psychedconsult.com. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E-D, consult.com. Her phone number is 973-400-8371. And as you know, I call her Dr. Liz on the show. We've done probably around five shows together. We're doing a continuation of a show that we've probably did around six months ago um, on childhood anxiety. Um, it was a very interesting show, and we kind of let, let off about treatments and what we can be doing. But for a refresher, good morning, Dr. Liz, before we start the show. I'm sorry <laughs> about that. I'm getting carried away. Good morning to you. Good morning. It's a really exciting topic because it affects a lot of our children, sadly. It is. Um, before we get started, just uh, for people who don't know you, um, a little bit about you and your, your practice. So I'm a clinical and school psychologist. Um, I used to work in the public schools, and now I'm in private practice solely. I work with children and their families. I do parent coaching, so coaching parents, um, giving them the tools to be able to um, create a very calm and structured and organized home environment depending on their needs. Um, I work with children with anxiety, ADHD, autism, and learning disabilities. So I also do testing to diagnose um, dyslexia, learning disabilities, ADHD, whatever the case may be. Um, and then I write very child study team friendly reports. Um, and I also uh, go to t meetings with parents, IEP meetings, um, just to serve as an educational consultant, another set of ears, someone who used to write the IEPs, um, just to help advocate for kids' uh, programs and get them the accommodations and program that they need. So it's um, kind of very diversified, but the theme is I work with kids with special needs, and I love what I do. Right, and it's definitely something that um, really all parents that have children that need your expertise. Um, so please, let me give you her number again. It's 973 400 8371. Dr. Liz, we left off, like I said, a couple of months ago. We did a lot of topics. Um, so for the listeners, you can visit the website. It's answersliveNJ.com. 
Again, that's AnswersLiveNJ.com and pull up Dr. Liz's past shows and you can kind of catch yourself up and then continue with this show uh, afterwards. Um, we were talking about childhood anxiety. Uh, for those who haven't heard the show or listened to it yet, briefly, what is childhood anxiety and some of the symptoms? So childhood anxiety is children who feel anxious um, because of whatever reason, whether there's some change in the environment or there's a genetic predisposition, um, or it's just a child who's very sensitive to the environment and sensitive to people. Um, I, I don't haven't seen any literature on this, so I'm going to just call it what I see it. Um, I think there's this variable where children are very highly sensitive and very highly empathic. And these children are very in tune with their environment. They're very in tune with other people's emotional needs. And so they absorb a lot. And because they're so little, they don't have the capacity to really process and understand. And so I, I think it becomes internalized as anxiety. Um, so I'm just seeing this very highly aware child at a very young age who's taking in so much from the environment is in tune with other people's needs to the point where, you know, you wish that you could turn that off for them and say, just go play, go color, go pick your nose, right. anything other than just being so in tune with your environment. And there's just a high level of an intensity for this child because they want to keep people around them happy. Right. So what you see with children with anxiety is not your traditional wringing the hands. Um, it's more of a level of agitation and restlessness um, inattention or poor focus. So sometimes there's uh, overlap with ADHD. Uh, pa parents or teachers or pediatricians might say it's ADHD, but it's really anxiety and they do look alike. Um, a lot of somatic symptoms such as headaches, stomach aches, um, just needing to go to the bathroom often. Uh, there's avoidance, avoidance of school, avoidance of situations that the child finds to be highly anxious, social situations, uh, such as playdates or birthday parties are also things that chil children will want to avoid. And so they'll have significant meltdowns in an effort to not go. Uh, meltdowns, tantrums around going to school, coming home from school, doing homework, getting ready for bed, um, transitioning from one activity to the other, and just crying. Right. So you don't see that, you know, we think of a person who's anxious as someone who sits there and, it may be withdrawn or avoidant or wringing their hands or just looks anxious. But for your child, it's it's not going to look like that. It, I think it's going to look more like the child who is being difficult. Right. And as you're talking and giving all these symptoms, of course, I'm relating it to my own kids as we've discussed in the past. Um, but I also, it, do you feel it's just a, the time we live in now? Because when I was younger, I was an anxious kid. I was, I still am a very anxious adult. Um but there seems to be more kids with this now. Do you think it's just a pressure on, on them now? We did a show on screen time for mm -hmm. listeners out there. Take a, a listen to that one. Show. Does that have any effect, do you think, on kids where they're just so overstimulated they can't handle normal day anxiety or stress that's given to them? Well, I think the level of thing, the number of things that we expect our kids to do has really come up. When you think about, I think about my childhood. I went to school. I wasn't bombarded with 10,000 activities and schedules and running from one thing to the next. Maybe I had an activity. Maybe I didn't. Right. And there was a lot of downtime. There, there was the TV. There was no computer. There was no iPad. There was no iPhone. There was n none of the I anything. Um, and I think what has happened over time 
is I think the demands at school too. I just in the last couple of years looking at what is expected of my first grader in comparison to my, he's now in the fourth grade, but when he was, let's say, in the kindergarten, first grade, what was expected of him was not as demanding as what is expected of my daughter just three years later. Right. She's being expected to perform academically at a higher level, and if she doesn't, then that's being perceived as she's falling behind. Exactly. So our kids are being expected to do more, even just at the kindergarten level. They're supposed to be reading by the end of kindergarten. I don't remember reading at the end of kindergarten. I know my son yeah. wasn't reading at the end of kindergarten. Three years later, she's now being expected to do that. So I think the pressures just are high. I think as a society, um, we're, we know more, we, so we want to enrich our children, and so we have them participate in a lot of activities. Right. And I think it's Too there's much. a lot of pressure. There's yeah, not enough little, downtime. My little nephew, I was over there last weekend, and uh, he was very upset, and I said, what's the matter? He said, I might not get honor roll, because he was getting a B, and I and I looked at the, my my niece, and I'm like, "What are you talking about? He's only in third grade." But they actually have honor rolls in the school where you can get an honor roll at third grade, and he was already bothered by it. So I'm thinking, "Wow, this is crazy." It's, it's you know? really it's putting a lot of the adult pressures on children right. earlier and earlier, and I think we just need to let our children be children. And I know I've really talked to a lot of parents saying. One activity per child per season and nothing more. Right. Because they need to come home and stare out the window because that's when creativity really blooms and we start to create games and, you know, think above stories in our head and it's it's all the stuff that we did. You know, we, we made up games when we were right. younger because we didn't have 10,000 things to occupy us. Right. And I think parents now are caught up in the, I don't want my child to have too much downtime. They're right. going to be bored and but they want them to be better than do more than they had, um, which is kind of a cycle that I guess, thankfully, I haven't fallen in. I, fall in, I listen to you a lot with my children, <laughs> and it has helped. Um, for those listeners, like I said, um, listen to the show um, on the website because we're going to kind of continue now into a continuation of that show. Um, we did go through uh, the last show about symptoms and um, basically how to, to deal with certain things, but the big thing now is the school. Um, and what you do as part of what you do is helping parents within the school. Right. So there's support plans that you can have available to children in school. Once they're diagnosed, they come see you, they have anxiety disorder, you give things to do. What are the support plans that, and what can be done in school for these children? Just to take a step back, sometimes parents come to me and they don't know what's going on. And so we give it a name and we give it the anxiety name. And that's often very relieving. Um, to know that this is what it is as opposed to whatever else was, you know, the parent is fearing. But there are three general plans that are available to a child in school. One is an INRS plan. So that's Intervention and Referral Service Plan. That's the first level. The second is a 504 accommodation plan. And the third is the IEP or the Individualized Education Plan. So if you have a diagnosis, you can get a 504 plan. Without the diagnosis, you can have an INRS plan. So usually what a lot of parents will find a teacher saying is, let's put together some accommodations in place before we even get to any plan, formal plan. Um, I'll encourage parents, you know, if we have a name for this and it's just, it's not um, a sensory processing disorder or a learning disability, then I'll encourage parents to get an INR, INRS plan. And that plan it provides accommodations in the classrooms. So if a child is anxious, you 
will come up with uh, different strategies that the teacher can use to help that child manage the anxiety in the classroom so that they can continue to function and access the curriculum. The 504 accommodation plan has the, adi the addition of offering statewide testing accommodations. So if a child is really anxious and taking a, a standardized test, which we know there's a lot of pressure around, right. then maybe that child needs to be in a small group. So they need to be taken out of the classroom and put into a, a, a classroom with fewer kids where they may need test questions, um, the directions read out loud and explained. There's all different yeah, different accommodations. Kind of, my son has a 504 and uh, he was just able to get a little bit more time for his An extended tests. time, sure. And uh, it, it did help a lot. He's thankfully, like I said, maturity seemed to be growing out of his his uh, anxiousness, but uh, the 504 plan did help. Uh, the next plan you were talking about? The is the IEP. Mm -hmm. And that comes into place when a child has a diagnosis. The anxiety diagnosis is now impacting the child's ability to access the curriculum. So we have a child who's not coming to school, who's crying in school, who's so fearful that they can't get through the doors or if they get through the doors they can't function in the classroom so then you have a program so that means a child might be in a class where there there's co-teaching or they need to be pulled out into a resource room where the academics can be the pace can be slowed down and it can be more individualized for that child it also means we don't have to follow the curriculum exactly where the general ed peers are where they are it's more of if you need to take a step back and go back to one of the other the earlier principles in mathematics, for example, we can do that because we don't have to keep going because the rest of the class is moving along. So there's a lot more flexibility and moving forward, taking a step back, slowing down on a particular content area. So those are the three general plans that I will suggest. But the other thing is with anxiety, sometimes children have learning disabilities and it's the learning disability that kind of instigated the anxiety. So you have a child who's going in and it's time to read or it's time to write. And that child is so anxious because they know it's going to be very hard. So you see the tantrums, you see the meltdowns. And it's the anxiety is what we see because we can't see a learning disability. And when, But then when it's happening so frequently together, meaning it's time to read and write, we have a meltdown. We have a child who, I have a stomach ache. I need to go to the nurse. And they want to avoid. Doing the homework is now painful. Getting them to write their spelling words or their spelling sentences or to write a paragraph is difficult. So sometimes it's the learning disability. And so then you would do want a child study team referral. So for the uh, child study team to evaluate to see if there's a learning disability. And then the IEP addresses that component. Okay. So it's... it's um, multi-layered and it really is so individualized to the child because I I have yet to find a child who comes in with a clear-cut one symptom you know or one set of symptoms and here's the clear-cut diagnosis it's usually complicated and so by building giving the child the support they are now not worried about being alone at school and then that hopefully will decrease the anxiety and so then it, it becomes a trial and error kind of hypothesis testing kind of thing of what came first. So then you start to see the anxiety come down and, and you think, okay, this is the learning disability. But if it's really anxiety and it's related to something that's going, maybe there's been a change at home. Maybe there's, um, maybe mommy is traveling more. Mommy went back to work. Daddy's out of work. You know, someone in the neighborhood 
uh, there was a passing of someone, a family member or someone in the community. So some significant change is triggering the anxiety and that child has personalized it and internalized it. Okay, that makes a lot, a lot of sense. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get right back in this topic with Dr. Liz. There's a unique place in New Jersey, a pioneer in healthcare, leading the way with their nationally recognized spine center and their extraordinary support groups dedicated to providing emotional and logistical assistance. That place is Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists, ANS, well-known for improving lives with exceptional neurosurgical services, medical firsts, and one-of-a-kind programs. ANS, home to New Jersey's largest group of world-renowned fellowship-trained neurosurgeons, offering advanced treatment options. Options like stereotactic radiosurgery, a non-invasive and highly effective treatment for an increasing number of brain and spinal tumors. ANS, a leader in stroke care with a success rate greater than the national average, among the first in the country to use stent trevers, allowing surgeons to immediately restore blood flow to the brain. ANS, using advanced computer-guided technologies for minimally invasive spine surgeries that reduce recovery time from weeks to days. ANS, restoring hope and helping patients regain their lifestyle. ANS, making next-generation treatments possible today. Don't let insurance come before your health. ANS accepts all patients. For more information, call 973-285-7800 or visit ansdocs.com. ansdocs.com. Welcome back to Answers Live. I'm your host, Tom Wood. I'm here with Dr. Liz Mathias. Um, and we're talking about um, basically childhood anxiety. Before we left break, um, she was giving us some support plans that you can find within the school. Dr. Liz, for parents that are listening and grandparents, um, sometimes, like I said, the grandparents actually are more impactful because parents are working and they're with their kids a lot more sometimes. Um, what are some of the accommodations that parents can actually go to the school? Because from my own experience, sometimes the school's busy, they're on their own focus. And mm -hmm. from my own personal experience, the school wasn't as much help as I would have hoped. Uh, the teachers weren't as as much. Um, so sometimes it does fall back on the parents. So people who are listening and maybe see these symptoms in their child, of course, they need to call you um, mm -hmm. and make an appointment just probably to talk to you. That would be awesome. But what are the accommodations that they could request at school to start? So when you finally make sense of what's going on with your child, it's good to sit down with your, your classroom teacher and just say, this is what I'm noticing. What are you noticing? And just keep the doors uh, open between the two of you. But some, a lot of times I'll say, modify the work in the classroom. I know for a child, um, the amount of work can, for an anxious child can feel very overwhelming. And so just, I know for my daughter, if I put a worksheet in front of her and it's a full worksheet, she'll say, I have to do all of this, I'm not doing it. So I'll say modify it so that there's more white space between the items and there's fewer items. Or just take a, a blank piece of paper and put it over the work so that there's only one or two items showing up at a time. Okay. So that way the child doesn't look at it and get overwhelmed and shut down. Because that the anxiety is what really inhibits, they have the ability most of the time, it's just that fear. Um, if maybe doing less homework, I know homework is a huge struggle and has been in my home, and so just less homework and do odds, do evens, do, you know, write five spelling words instead of the full you know, 10 or 12 spelling words, which is crazy to think that. Our now, is this something a parent can go into a teacher and request and uh -huh. a teacher would say, oh, sure, I'll do that for you? Or does I it think have it to takes be a discussion. more where the teacher kind of understands, yeah, we're seeing this too with him, and they can try this on their own without approval through the child study team? Yes, or they can. yes. Um, it, sometimes teachers just do it on their own 
And then when a parent comes in and says, this is what I'm noticing, what do you know? Oh, yes, I've been doing this, this, and this. Okay. When, if it's something that we believe is going to be more short-term, then it can be this informal discussion. If we think it's something that's going to be more long-term, then I would say formalize it into a plan. Right. So that it's there, it's documented, and now you also have um, just documentation over the years if you so need it. So it's... For example, you go into first grade and your teacher says, well, I've never heard of this before. I, the teacher before, I, we have nothing in writing. Just put it in writing. I like things in writing um, that just documents that my child has struggles and these are the accommodations that we used last year. We may want to use them again or may, we may not need to find new ones. So things like that, decreasing homework. For, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge proponent of homework just because I feel like children need to come home and decompress. They need their downtime. And when you have an anxious child, they work very, very hard all day to keep it pulled together. Um, some kids will not even give an, an inkling of anything to a teacher. And I know I've had my, my daughter's teacher say, really? She melts down? And I'm looking at her like, really? Yeah, we melt down all the time. You just don't see it here because we're working so hard to keep it pulled together. But then in the morning and after school, we're having meltdowns. So just documenting what's going on. So Because, again, my, my daughter's teacher had no idea. She just knew she had some academic struggles. Uh, so sometimes we'd get a little bit nervous, but nothing out of the ordinary. And so homework, let's decrease it, if not eliminate it altogether. Um, I also encourage teachers not to call on children. Let the child volunteer. Because if you call on them and their thought is not formulated yet, you're going to have a child who has nothing to say or they're going to say something that doesn't make sense or they're just going to shut down. And that's embarrassing. So I, I ask for the accommodation to be put into INRS plans, 504 plans, and IEPs. Do not call on the child. Let the child volunteer. Call on the child when they volunteer. Because that means the thought is, is formulated. We right. can now speak. And that's for a child that has anxiety mm -hmm. in general. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good idea, actually, as I'm thinking of it. Because I remember when my son was a lot younger, the teachers would say, well, we would call on him and he would say something so inappropriate. Right. Or, you know, he tried to make people laugh. And it was probably for that reason. He was filling the void. He was put on the spot, so let me say anything so I don't look stupid. And and you know what? Good for him that he was able to turn it into something humorous right. as opposed to crying. Right. So he, that was his strategy. That's how he got through that moment. Right. Um, another thing I say um, to parents is to... Let's have breaks, build in breaks. Let the child um, bring a note to the front office. You know, say to them, why don't you go get a drink of water from the water fountain and come back? But, you know, and you get to know when your child is done. You know, if a writing task is going to use a lot of energy and a lot of mental energy and emotional energy, then after a writing task, go take a break. Oh, can you take this note to the next teacher? Or can you take this to the main office? Or why don't you go get a drink of water and come back? Um, and just let them get up, move away from the classroom, just have a mental break. Um, it's, it's what we as adults do when we're in the workplace. You know, we need a break every so often. We run to the bathroom, we get a drink, and then we come back and we get back to work. Um, another thing is if you have a child who is not able to keep it pulled together at, during the day, is for the school to have a kind of an agreement either with a guidance counselor or someone in the school, someplace where the child can go and be able to have silence for a couple of minutes. Um, again, whether it's a guidance counselor or a nurse, where they know they can just come in, sit down, maybe close their eyes, get a drink of water, relax for a couple of minutes, 
calm down if they're feeling highly anxious, and then return. So it's, it's creating a safe environment, a safe haven for them to retreat to because the classroom is overstimulating. There are bells ringing. The teacher is giving instructions. If there are any other paraprofessionals or instructional aides in the classroom, you have instructions that are being thrown out at these children all day long. And I know that from having been, having worked in the school, but also when I go into my children's school, you know, and there's a party or, or an event, there's just so yeah, just much kids. talking, right, 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 right. you know, a lot of instruction, you know, have your snack, pick it up, put it in the garbage, come wash your hands, come back to your seat. If you have to go to the bathroom, go now, you know, we're not gonna be able to go later now, gather up. And, and there's so many instructions. And for an anxious child, they're thinking, oh my gosh, I have to do this. Oh my gosh, I have to do this. I didn't hear what you just said. I don't know what to do next. And then there's just panic. So just ways to avoid getting to that place. Okay. That makes a lot, a lot of sense. Um, what are some of the strategies that people can use at home? So one thing I, I tell parents at home is to also create a safe haven at home, meaning that you come home and you have a corner in your room or in in your room, in, in a quiet place of the house, a bean bag, a comfortable chair, a blanket where they can have a book, a snack, a drink, just maybe some things that they can sit and play with very quietly. They can decompress at the end of the school day. Uh, I'm not a big fan of jumping right into homework. There, you know, I, I liken the anxiety to noise in your head. And you come from school and there's all this noise in your head. You got to at some point let it go. So providing that opportunity for the child to let the noise out of their head so that they can then proceed with homework and the rest of the evening. Um, I'm a big proponent of structure and routine. So a child who's anxious, who knows when they come home that I have my 20 minutes where I go sit in my beanbag chair and I can read a book or color and then I do my homework. And then when I'm done with my homework, I can play and then we have dinner and then we have bath and bedtime. And knowing what that routine is going to look like, I'm also a big proponent of visual schedules. So putting on, just laminating a piece of paper that either has pictures or pictures and words of what's the sequence of what's going to happen for the evening, in the morning, after school, whatever it is, because that structure and that consistency is very reassuring to a person who's always wondering, what's next? What's next? Well, if you know what's next, then you don't have to have that level of worry. For children, I know for adults, myself included, um, you know, there's medication for anxiety. Um, what's your feeling on, on medication for children that are really struggling with anxiety? So as a, I speak, I'm going to speak first as a mom about this. I'm not, I don't love medication just because our kids are young, they're growing, their bodies are growing, and we don't know how medication is going to impact that right. growth. So for m my thought is if you were going to pursue medication, it is because the child is not functioning. They can absolutely are not able, even with all these different strategies in place, they are not able to manage the anxiety. They're not able to cope. They're not able to get to school. They're not able to stay in school. They're not able to get the work done and then make the transition back home. Um, there are lots of supplements, natural supplements, for those who are okay with supplements. There's like valerian root and lavender, chamomile. Um, Highlands is, an, is a natural brand, and they make... Um, these little, they taste like little sugar pills, but they're called calm and restful. And 
it's, you take a couple of them and they before bed and they just help the I child actually use to that calm for down. My son, because I don't believe okay. in medication either. I fought it the whole time, and like I said, he's grown out of it and he's doing very very well. But I used to do that lavender and lavender. oils and yep. downtime, and it does work. But uh, you know, I've had people knowing that you were on the show in the past ask her about what they think about medication. But I think you're masking the symptoms, not kind of dealing with the problem when you do that. I mean, I, I think you know. When it gets to a point where there's such a strong physiological underpinning that can't be controlled through any other strategy, then we have to look into that something very low dose while also continuing to work on the strategies. So we don't ever give up on helping the child to cope, um, but we want to be able to help their body to calm down because, you know, and I, I've shared this with everyone, I'm an anxious adult. I was an anxious child and an anxious adolescent. And I know what it feels like when you are so wrought with anxiety that it feels like you can't break it. Yeah, me so too. to have an outside agent, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of valerian root. I take the extract and I put it in my water and it, it, it just helps me to, yeah. to calm down. And I'm very thankful for that because I really don't want to pursue medication. So I'm not, I'm not black and white about it. If there is a, a, a need for it, then we pursue it. But if we can avoid it, than we do because again our children are growing right. and there's enough environmental toxins <laughs> that we don't need to you know introduce an outside agent that may or may not have an impact on their growth okay um, we're coming to the close of the show so as always um, I will have you back because there's just so much more to talk about but uh, in closing for those listening who may have a child suffering from anxiety or confused what they should do next step what are some closing thoughts for those listeners some closing thoughts are that it's this is a this in, childhood anxiety is very very difficult for the parent, and the parent needs counsel and support as well because I know for my daughter she uses me to ground her, so I become the person who's going to help her to feel better, and so it's exhausting because the expectation is you're going to be there, your child expects you to be there, um, but to make sure you have backup support to make sure that you do take downtime for yourself as a parent as you're recognizing what's happening for your child because you will pursue the strategies and the plans and all the supports that your child will need, but then you need to support yourself. And that's something that I see parents, they just burn out. And if the parent is burned out, you are no good to your child. Right. And your child's anxiety will come up if mom or dad are not available. Because they, they need to go to that adult. Their anxiety is high as it is, and they need to make sure that someone is there consistently. And you'll help the parent also. Of course. When they call. Of course. Um, okay, to get in touch with Dr. Liz, again, it's 973-400-8371. Uh, visit the website of AnswersLiveNJ.com. Listen to all Dr. Liz's shows. They're all very interesting relating around um, childhood um, issues and, and psychology there. Um, we will have her back. We have a bunch of topics that we're going to do throughout the year. Again, I'm Tom Wood from Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. Our website is ansdocs.com. Uh, we do have now an insurance counselor for all of those uh, people looking at insurance issues with, with health care. We have uh, someone to talk to. Remember, surgery is always the last option at ANS. I want to wish everyone a happy Sunday, and I will talk to you next week. Join us again next week for Answers Live, your community medical connection making a partnership of good health.
The preceding program was paid for by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. The views and opinions expressed on Answers Live are not necessarily those of the staff and management of the station. Management has not investigated the claims made during this program. The views and medical recommendations of guests on Answers Live are not necessarily those of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. As always, consult your health professional regarding any medical decisions.